Hey, everybody, it's Kathy McNally with Take the Mic Podcast. Hey, politics is depressing, right? I don't know if you're like me, but I'm pretty obsessed. I listen a lot to news. I read Twitter. I read all the papers. I'm totally disgusted, and I'm totally informed in a way so that the more you read, the more disgusted you are by how corrupt everyone seems to be in our current administration. So the counterpoint to that, though, is that it is election season. And in this podcast, I've gotten the chance to talk to so many great women who are running for office. And that is true today. Today, I have a really special guest on, Tahira Amatul Wadud. And Tahira is running for Congress, that's United States Congress, in the first congressional district in Massachusetts. She is running against a very long-time incumbent and in a race that seems like a bit of a challenge. And she has done an amazing job of traveling this gigantic district. And she'll tell you about it. It happens to be the district very close to me. And sharing her message and meeting. I think she's met like every single voter in this district. So I've heard her speak several times and I think she's an amazing speaker because she's able to be really articulate and clear like you'd expect of a politician and persuasive, but she is also really warm and engaging, which you do not expect of a politician, at least in a genuine way. So I'm delighted to welcome Tahira Amatul Wadud. Hey everybody, and just a note about today's interview, the audio quality is not a thousand percent wonderful today because of a glitch on my end, so sorry about that. So hey everybody, and welcome to Take the Mic. On Take the Mic, we, we look at and spotlight women who are speaking up for a change. And there's nobody, in my opinion, who is doing that better or stronger or more effectively than Tahira Amatul Wadud. And she is running for Congress in Massachusetts. She is running for, well, she will tell us exactly what position she is running for. And I have gotten to know her and gone to her campaign event. So I have to say my due diligence, I am a fan of hers and I want people to hear her because she has such a great message and she has such a great and unique voice. So welcome to Hira, and can you start off by telling us when you realized you enjoyed speaking to groups? I'm going to assume you do enjoy it because you do it so joyfully. How you found your uh, voice? <laughs> Were you a child or a teenager or what? Well, thank you, Kathy. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure um, for me to join you. When I was little, I used to love to perform. My mother always talked about how, how there was no conversation of an adult that I was going to get myself into. There was no question I wouldn't ask. And I think I've always been a little nosy and vocal, but I also I've had great support and encouragement over the years in terms of finding my voice and using it in a way that helps accomplish whatever it is I'm trying to accomplish. Um, and, and yeah, but my earliest memories are being like four years old and standing in front of my parents, my aunts and uncles, and trying to plead my case or my cousin's case for whatever it was you're trying to accomplish. <laughs> wow, I like that. I was nosy 
and vocal, and there was no adult <laughs> conversation I wouldn't find my way into. That is awesome. <laughs> so what was your... <laughs> I can relate. I can relate. My nickname was Chatty Kathy when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's great. So tell us what you're running for, and uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about the race first of all. I'm running for Congress in the first district. It's in Western Massachusetts. Um, it's an interesting place geographically in the region and in the state. It's we uh we border Connecticut to our south, Albany to our west, Vermont to our north. So just even from the point of view of where we are physically in the state and in connecting to the northeast region, it's just a beautiful area with lots of opportunities and lots of challenges. Um, it's eighty seven cities and towns, three thousand square miles. So we have our work cut out for us. Um, I am running for uh be the representative in the U.S. House of Representatives here in, in the 1st District. So why you haven't run for office before, tell us a little bit about what caused you to do it, why you felt like you had to do it, why you should do it, and why you could do it. Yeah, I'm an attorney, and I've been practicing now for 12 years. I can't even believe that that time has flown by. Most of my practice area is uh, in domestic relations, so getting to uh, assist and represent families who have inter-family dispute or conflict, whether it's around their children, divorce, custody, the estates of deceased relatives, the estates of incompetent relatives or children whose parents are not fit to take care of them. So in that time, I've had an opportunity to, to really see in real life how policy, good or bad, impacts families and people. And there starts to become a pattern in um, in what you see in terms of what people can access, what people can do, where their limitations may be, what what areas of strength uh, from the community that folks can engage in, and couple so put that aside. That's like a major part of my life. But other work that I started doing, working for working with uh, on a volunteer basis, the Massachusetts Commission on the Status of Women, where our our sort of uh, mission is to support laws that are friendly to women and girls and hearing from stakeholders about what the condition of women in Massachusetts are. And then being a daughter and a mom and a wife, it, I just became bombarded with the different challenges that are really keeping us from thriving the way I think we need to be able to thrive here in the western part of the state. And when I looked at the condition of the district, particularly, I realized that we're lagging by all outcomes and factors that we consider good for quality of life. We have a lower than average, um, we have the lowest median income in the state of all of the congressional districts. We have the second highest rate of poverty of all of the congressional districts, high unemployment rate, high numbers of folks uninsured. And I just said, you know, these things have called me to run for office because my doing so will have the most immediate and most impact on the quality of life of the people. And that's why I ran. And we did that in December. I launched in December. It is now August. And look at the level of attention and enthusiasm and excitement 
that our being the race has generated. And that's partially because we've given voice to the voiceless. Hmm. So, wow. So you you decided to run for office, and it's so clear you saw in your work how policy had a, such an impact on people's lives, and then you saw through your volunteer work with the Women's Commission how we're doing. You sort of looked hard at the district we live in. Um, you took on – I want to talk about this element of, uh, I guess, bravery, courage, chutzpah, whatever <laughs> you might want to call it. You didn't take on – a city council or a state office, you went for a major national federal office. Why? Why'd you do that? <laughs> it's, I think I might have grown up a little too emboldened. Yeah. Like my parents said, you can do whatever you want to do. Me going to college, and I went to Elm College, which at the time was still an all-women's college. I had a great mentor, Dr. Carlo Lesca. And she would tell me the same thing. You could do whatever you want to do. And so I really walked this earth thinking, yes, I can do whatever I want to do. And I've taken trainings for how to run for office. I've read. I'm an attorney. And even that gives me a sense of, uh, of um, how do I want to phrase it? But being, being a litigator also gives you a sense of ability and confidence uh, and there's another word, I don't know, my words might be failing me, but maybe nerve. Maybe it gives yep. you a sense of nerve that yep. I can stand here and I can make an argument and try to convince a judge to see it my client's way. So I think that when I mapped out what seat I was going to run for, it was all of that telling me, you can do whatever you want to do. But not only that I can do whatever I want to do, but that I'm qualified to do what I want to do. Right. I knew that I had the background. I knew that I had the lived experience. I knew that I had the insight, and I knew that I could. I knew the story that needed to be told. And so, um, it's funny because when you look at conventional wisdom, people will be like, "Are you out of your mind?" <laughs> and maybe one day I'll look back and say, "What in the world was I thinking?" But um, I have absolutely no regrets, and it turned out to be the right decision. Yeah.
profession gave you the, you know, the skills and the background to be competent and successful and your passion uh, fit exactly this. So maybe this was the perfect match. Now, you, I've heard you speak many times and you have a fantastic way of speaking that's both uh, professional and, and leader-like but also really warm and responsive, which I think oh, thank you. is extremely unique in politicians in general. I think, you know, some women are better than this, but I think you are a master of that. Um, oh, uh, of yeah. that. So I hope, and I think that that is probably one thing that's, that's really connecting. Now you have, so in our district, we have a person, your opponent, who's been here a long time, who was a mayor yeah. and then has done this a long time. And many people feel um, out of touch, he, that he may be out of touch with the district. We don't see him a lot. So you, you've taken on someone. It's not one of these easy seats. It's a really difficult seat. And now you are going for this step of really trying to push for a debate. Tell us about that, why you want to debate and what that means to you. I have um, long called for a debate to take place with respect to this race for, for me and my opponent to come in front of the people, in front of the community and answer questions in a moderated way whether it's by a consortium of journalists or, or other community leaders or some, some way that gives people the opportunity to see and hear us and our positions for themselves. I think that's very important. And I think that that is the spirit of democracy, to engage in a town hall forum or debate in that sense. Additionally, my opponent historically has not held true town hall meetings with constituents the way that they deserve to to be to have them entertained. So I'm not relenting on that call. I feel like that is the most important thing that we owe constituents. That the nature of this seat, running for the House of Representatives, running to be the representative of the U.S. House of Representatives, deserves a level of dignity of being able to have your point of view fleshed out um, in a way that that allows um, the voters to make informed decisions. And unless we have it, I believe that the incumbent is doing a disservice to the community without, unless, until, unless and until he engages in that. Yeah, yeah. And so when you think about the debate, it sounds like you are eager to do one. And is that true? Um, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. Yeah. So a debate yeah. seems to me like it's it's a very challenging form of communication. But I'm going to guess that as a lawyer, often what you do in court is a sort of organized legal debate. So maybe it's not a daunting task to you to debate. That's correct. And I, 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 I think also with me having done this for more than 10 years in terms of being able to stand, literally stand up on my own feet, um, address issues that may be coming from the 
judge at one end of the room coming from the opposing attorney at the other end of the room and dealing with a client who might whisper in my ear or say something or ask a question, and for me to be able to juggle all of those aspects of communication while being on and recognizing that by the time I leave counsel table, something consequential would have happened for my client based on my ability to successfully deliver us through that, yes, that definitely sharpens my skill. That said, I've never had a political debate before. So maybe like running for Congress, maybe I'll realize after the political debate, like, wow, that was different. (laughs) 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 Even though I think some of the same, the skill set will be the same, of course, the content will be different. But that's what I'm, as a teacher, I'm prepared. I am learning and almost have my my opponent's record memorized so that I can call on his record. I can call on what I can do and how I will lead and prioritize and work to legislate in a way that supports these great ideas that I have. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it, and I'm mapping it all out, and I am ready. I'm eager. Yep, yep. Well, I wonder, uh, you know, we can only speculate why why your opponent would not want to debate, and I guess, you know, one element is a little bit of fear, Right, that you're you're gonna you're gonna do a really good job, and it's, things are gonna be made clear. Do you speculate about that, or? Yeah, I I think that um, part, okay. So when I launched, it came on the heels of people. There, there was a pervasive feeling among many people in my life friends, clients, et cetera, who were saying that they didn't know where the future of the country was going and what they could do to protect themselves from what they felt was a hostile presidential administration. Like, this was an undercurrent of conversation. Yep. And to me, part of that was fueled by this feeling that democracy was being threatened. Even if people couldn't articulate it that way, that's what it is, that the manifestation of of democracy being threatened, it, it, at least for us as Americans, has a suffocating feeling because it should. Because the one thing that we're promised under our Constitution is a vibrant democracy. So people, I mean, it goes from being a clinical thought to being a political thought to being a a social thought. But stick with me because I know I'm long-winded on this. Yeah, no, no, I'm getting that. Yeah. When I entered the race, I didn't realize that the my presence would help to address and alleviate some of that. Now, I'm not saying I'm here, I'm a savior, um, this works for me and all the problems go away, but just by giving people a voice in terms of who represents them, by letting people decide what issues they feel are important to be heard on and to hear me speak about, helps to uh, contribute to the spirit of democracy. Right. So when we look at having a debate, we're, we are doing a service to the community because it's not just about how well somebody can answer on their feet. Yep. It's about saying to um, Sally from Adlam, tell me what you think is the most important issue for me to know about, what I can bring light to and, and share my expertise or my background on. Even if I can't solve it, let's talk about it. And that's why I think the debate is so important. That's why I think contested elections are so important. And 
and hope for the best. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to be honest, I hadn't thought about it in terms of that. I've hoped for a debate, um, you know, partially because it will allow people to hear your ideas. But what you're saying is we need a debate, not just for Tahira or your opponent, but so that we all get a chance to hear both of you and to ask you our questions in a public format. That really what it's about is democracy. And really another thing I think – you're saying or I'm hearing is democracy isn't just under threat from these uh, Republicans or extremists, that there may be people in our own party in the establishment who are also, to put it mildly, not helping. That's correct. That is correct. If if, if I always say to myself, if I could just have a psychologist and I could just ask all the questions that I want to ask about things about the psychology of a community, the psychology of of apathy, let's test the waters around when you have an elected official who's really engaged and what does that mean for a community person. I think, I mean, all these questions, just like you're saying, I feel like it's the absolute clinical evidence-based support that having an engaged representative creates a happier, a, a happier electorate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I know that, you know, in my district, we have uh, Congressman McGovern, who's very engaged and shows interest. And that is an enormous feeling of connection with the process. He shows up at things that you wouldn't expect a politician to have time to show up to. And it makes a huge difference because you feel that connection. Well, Tahira, I want to. I'm so impressed with you, with your bravery and your spirit. And I want to ask you, you, you've had some challenges. And one challenge is that we've had some racist pamphlets go out. And can you say, you can address those in any way that you want, but I guess it shows that people don't want to hear your voice. And then also, there's a challenge of how do you respond to that? Yeah, I um, part of my service as a lawyer has included representing communities that have been victims of anti-religious tolerance yeah. and building community around interfaith relationships and interfaith outreach. So, with these flyers started going around, um, they they so what the flyers were just so that your listeners yeah. understand, there would be. They're like on legal size paper, and it's front and back. And the front of it has these handwritten drawings, these illustrations. And it's, I guess the middle picture is supposed to be me with like my hand in the air, like I'm at a rally, and then people listening to me. I don't know what I don't know the thought bubbles are like. They're chanting stuff behind me. Then the flip side of the um, flyer has text. It's like typewritten text making these affiliations with Muslim groups and making the affiliations very sinister and it's it's confusing, mm-hmm. it's hateful, and it's scary. So I personally never received these flyers because the, the flyers were not designed to communicate to me. They were designed to communicate purportedly about me yeah. to people in the, in the community. I don't know who got these. I don't know who's sending them. I do know that some of them have gone to in the district, 
going to call this a we, but yeah. I want you to know, and I want you to know I support you, even though I don't know who you are. Yeah. Um, so the impact, I, I can't measure the impact overall, but at least for the people who've reached out, the impact has been one of, of support. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting thing about Islamophobia, particularly as a Muslim woman, is that when you uh, attack me on the basis of religion, just because I cover and I'm physically a Muslim woman, every aspect of anti-Muslim bigotry directed at me as a Muslim woman comes with an element of gender bias yeah. because it starts to attack the way that I dress as a woman. So it's not just, okay, you believe in this monotheistic religion is cover this thing. And yeah. so there's many components to the bigotry, including gender-based, a uh, gender-based yeah. act of bigotry, which makes yeah. me, in my opinion, feel even more vulnerable as a woman yeah. to, um, to to all of the things that come with bigotry. And it's really bad and really scary yeah. for women. So yeah, it's been interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a distraction. I've called on all candidates and elected officials to condemn the entry of bigotry into the discourse of this because whether whether um the, no matter where you are in terms of your culpability and in, 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 in stoking the bigotry, you know, I think this is just a random person doing this. The reality is that people still benefit from bigotry. Yeah. It's possible that folks will um, agree with or align themselves with some of the sentiment there unless elected officials and candidates condemn it and say, this is not right. right. So you're either going to benefit from it or you're going to openly um, acknowledge and condemn it. And I'm calling on everyone um, running for office here in Massachusetts, West Massachusetts, to, to condemn it. Yep, yep. Well, I guess it's it's an element of uh, it's a it's a pushback to women speaking out, to Muslim women yeah. speaking out, uh, and it yeah, and it's it's got to be tough. It's got to be tough. But um, I'm glad to see that you're speaking out about it, and I have heard other people speaking out about it too. So that's that's good.
by August 15th in Massachusetts, I'm asking everyone to just check the voter registration, make sure they know where they're going to vote and that they are registered to vote at the address where people are living. Yeah. What we noticed when we were collecting signatures even on the ballot is that a lot of people thought they were registered voters. They, I mean, I have no doubt that they believed they were registered voters. Then we submit their signatures to the cities and towns where they live, yeah. and the message will come back. But they're not registered at the address. Oh. Their address, they were getting rejected. Yeah, we had high rates of folks, particularly in some of our inner city communities, whose signatures were rejected, probably because these were communities where people are a little bit transient, they yeah. may rent, and then they move, and then nobody's remembering to tell city hall or yeah. town officials that yeah. they move. And so I'm asking everyone to just check in and make sure you're registered at the address where you live. And you must do that by April, I mean, by August 15th, or else you cannot be a primary voter. The okay. second thing I'm asking everybody to do is to commit to being a primary voter. A primary voter is someone who votes in the primary, which this year is September 4th. It's a tough day to vote. I believe that it was scheduled as a form of voter suppression. Mm-hmm. And it creates a barrier to access because it is the day after the holiday. So yep. some people are going to be traveling. Yep. Some people are going to be kids. All of my college students are going to be back in school. So they all have to do absolutely. 